Golden State Warriors basketball. Stolen by Curry. Curry driving with wall back. Goes reverse with a left hand. It was so weak. This is Warriors Roundtable. With the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Gasol left box. Looks for Randolph. Still holding. Now goes to work on Azili. Takes a middle. Spins baseline. Drop step. Got bumped. Throws up the shot. It spins in. You've got to be kidding me. Falling out of bounds, threw it up about shoulder, stomach high, flipped it in and a foul. It's on Azili, that's his fourth. Just a very, very hard-fought contest last night at Oracle Arena. Very tough. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are a tough, tested team. They've been in the playoffs. They know what they're doing, and they have two very talented big men in Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol. In fact, before the game, head coach Mark Jackson called the Grizzlies the best front line in the NBA and right now, with the way the Grizzlies are playing, you'd have to say you'd be hard-pressed to find another front line that's better than Marcus Gasol, Zach Randolph, and Rudy Gay. Hi, everybody. I'm Tim Roy, and I want to invite you to sit down around the roundtable yet again. It's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable here on KBR uh, 680. What you can console yourself with, with the back-to-back losses to the Clippers and the Grizzlies. It, well, it's twofold. One, two very, very good teams. You know, don't kid yourself. These are two teams that you can make the argument that could meet in the Western Conference Finals when it's all said and done. The Grizzlies are very good. The Clippers are having an outstanding season, and Chris Paul is just off the charts right now, the best point guard in the game. And it's also the first time that the Golden State Warriors have lost back-to-back games since November the 10th. I'll give you a little pause here to allow that to sink in. That's the first time in two months that the Warriors have lost back-to-back games. I mean, that's significant. And the fact that they're now 9-2 and two after a loss is still an outstanding record. I really think when you, when you compare that note and look at what the Warriors have been doing, there's no question that that's a, a huge sign of maturity and improvement with this ball club, and it's one of the reasons why uh, Golden State right in the middle of the mix for the Western Conference playoffs. And we knew coming into this stretch, you knew that this was going to be one of the toughest stretches of the season. And it will continue to be so with Portland coming to town. The Trailblazers playing very well under head coach Terry Stotts. They're in town tomorrow night. At Denver, you know how tough it is to go to Denver. You know how good they are. And then the world champions come in on Wednesday, the Miami Heat. All that before a two-step in San Antonio and New Orleans. And the Hornets are now playing much better basketball. The Eric Gordon has returned to their lineup. And then back home for the Clippers in Oklahoma City before starting a four-game Midwest East Coast swing. So it's the toughest stretch in terms of competition all year long. But if the Warriors will emerge from this stretch, and you look at their their schedule, if they come out of that, that trip and back home to take on Dallas on the 31st, and if the Warriors still have a very good record at that time, I think that's a great sign for this ball club. Now coming up to help us dissect the schedule of very tough games. We have Richard Jefferson, who is a real team leader for the Golden State Warriors and a guy that's helping a lot of the rookies get through this season. We'll also hear from head coach Mark Jackson in our Warriors Vox segment. You sent me questions on Twitter at Warriors Vox and email T-I-M-R-O-Y-E at Warriors.com. And then later on in the hour, Sam Amick of USA Today comes by to tell us about the proposed sale of the Sacramento Kings and are the Houston Rockets for real. It's all this hour on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I want to remind you about a special event. Kia is inviting you 
to meet Warriors rookie Festus Azili at 6 o'clock next Tuesday, January 15th at the Dublin Kia. Arrive early as Festus will be signing autographs for fans until 7 o'clock. And for more information, including directions, go to warriors.com slash meet Festus. And you want to meet Festus. He is a delightful young man and a real intelligent, and he is a guy that the Warriors can be very happy to have around for years to come. Your chance to meet Festus Azili next to Tuesday, January 15th at the Dublin Kia. Well, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, glad you are settled in in your seat. We look forward to having you around for the next hour, and when we return on the roundtable, you'll hear Richard Jefferson's comments about this year's Golden State Warriors and how he's helping some of these young rookies develop at a faster pace on KMBR 680. The sports leader. Curry fakes, draws two, gets it out to RJ. He'll drive down, pass to Lee. Great catch by Lee. Missed the layup, rebound deflected. Jefferson goes up and jabs it. Richard Jefferson <laughs> claps his hands in mock joy that time, finally getting it to fall. Well, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. Golden State and Portland tomorrow night. And I, Tim Roy, joined by Richard Jefferson. And uh, Richard, I guess last night, what was remarkable to me after the game was to uh, realize that that was the first time that you guys had lost back-to-back games in about two months. I mean, that's a remarkable number, and it really it, it kind of speaks to the resiliency of, of this team. Well, well, good teams tend to stop the bleeding early, and, and that's what you have to do because uh, two can quickly turn into three, four, five, and and then all of a sudden you're on a losing streak. But if you look at if you look at the top five or six teams in both conferences, they rarely get on a four or five game losing streak. And that's because, you know, you lose one, you battle back. You lose two or three, then you come out and you get it going. And that, that's how you stay at the top. You've been on a lot of good teams. So tell me, what, what are the similarities between some of the very good teams that you've played on uh, to this Warrior squad? Um, I, I think the depth. I, I think um, the fact that nobody really cares who gets, what, who gets the credit. One day it might be Clay. One day it might be Steph. Um, another, you know, we've played through Carl Layton games. Uh, Jared Jack has had an amazing season uh, so far. Uh, so it, it just depends on who's got the game going uh, and, and who's and who's moving the ball around, depending on who gets the best shot. You know, earlier this year, and I, I want you to to talk a bit about this. You were talking about uh, in an interview about how proud you were to be part of the Nets organization when you were there because when you got there, they weren't that good. And then when you left, as you point out, they, they hung banners. Talk about that process and why is that so important to you? Well, I, I think for me it's just because I came in with them. Um, uh, that That's who drafted me. And there was so much negativity thrown at me uh, early on, like, oh, you're going to go play with the Nets. And, oh, how are you going to handle it? And, oh, you just came from – you know, you know, we were in the Final Four and, and played the national championship game to playing with a uh, a team that was perennially in the in, in the lottery. And me and Jason Collins and Brian Scalabrini were like, well, that's not our past. We had nothing to do with that. I can't control, you know, what went on before me. All I can do is control what moves forward. And, you know, that's why I think we were so happy to be a part of that turnaround because no one thought we can do it that year we were picked to finish I think second to last in the conference and we led the conference from start to finish and went to the NBA finals so you know you look at a situation here where you know even with all the new additions even with bringing in Jared Jack and Carl Landry who are proven NBA players and and Steph Curry being healthy um, adding veterans having you know a quality pick like Harrison Barnes and some quality picks that 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 slipped I fell in the I, I feel in the draft uh Draymond Green and and Fasses Azili 
even with all that being combined, everyone picked us to finish, you know, low in the conference. And uh, so for us to have success early, I think it means a lot to everyone. You know, it's funny you you mentioned about the the history part. Mark Jackson said an almost identical thing, uh, I think it might have been a week or two ago, where he said that the history is the Warriors' history. It's not my history. It's not our history here. And and I, I guess to, to turn the page, you kind of have to believe that. Well, it's not have to believe it. It's just the truth. It, it's, it makes it pretty easy to believe the truth when you know that's what it is. Uh, I've been very blessed. I think I've been in the playoffs nine or ten times in my 12 years. So when I step onto the court, it's not, oh, well, it's the Warriors. No, I believe in my history. I believe in what I've been able to accomplish. I believe in the wisdom that I've learned from players that I can spill onto our younger guys like Harrison um, and Draymond and and the things that I can tell them that are going to help them be successful in this league because um, I know what it takes. I've been there. I've been to, you know, the playoffs. I know how to stop a guy late in the game. I know what his go-to moves are going to be and what his tendencies are. Um, I I know the best way to guard that. So, um, and and it goes to show that those guys are listening. They're taking all this information in and processing it and, and using it on the court. Richard Jefferson, my guest on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy, and you lead me to a topic I wanted to get to because I watched during timeouts, and I see you giving out that that wisdom and that advice. Do you see that as part of your role, and also not only a role on this team, but a role in the league? You know, because I see a lot of you know, some veteran guys don't do that, but I see a lot of veteran guys who do, and it's kind of their way of passing the torch, their way of giving back. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I still you know have a lot to contribute on the court. Um, but off the court, I, you know, Grant Hill, I talked to him. I saw him around Christmas time, and he was like, you know, guys have to reinvent themselves. You, you can't be in this league. You know, you're very, very fortunate if you were able to come into this league and be an all-star, average 20 points a game, be the focal point, go to the playoff. But as you get towards the end of your career, there's maybe, you know, four or five guys in a generation that are going to be the exact same guy from start of their career to the end of their career. It's next to impossible. So if you want to have longevity, you're going to have to reinvent yourself. You're going to have to use your teammates more. You're going to have to become more of a mentor. Uh, And these are things that I've embraced. You know, I I want to play – you know, at least 15 years. That means after this year, um, I got next year on my contract, and I'd like to play two more after that, and then I'd like to retire. Um, only a hundred or so guys have ever played a thousand games in this league, and that's what I'm trying to accomplish. So you, you have to have personal milestones. Uh, of course, I want to win an NBA championship, but sometimes those things are out of your control. Uh, so if you can kind of set a mind, a mindset of what you want to accomplish as an individual, uh, and then let all the other stuff just kind of fall in line, and that's what you have to do later in your career. You've, you've had a chance to play with guys who have had some tremendous longevity. I'm going to start, first of all, with a guy we like to call a Bay Area treasure, and that's Jason Kidd. What was it like playing with Jason Kidd, and, and, and how remarkable a point guard was he when you guys were teammates in New Jersey? It, it, it was – he was such a – a good mentor it's crazy because people think that you know when I first got to when I first got to New Jersey that's what that was our first experience um, I grew up in Phoenix Arizona when he really established himself as a dominant point guard Um, I'd met him when I was in college Um, actually right before I went to college I'd met him at a basketball camp he actually gave me a ride home and it's kind of random Um, you know you look at you know just kind of in hindsight you know that that little bit of time uh, and then, you know, even playing in the Final Four when he was still in Phoenix. So he was familiar, you know, when the kids down the road were, had a really good team and were playing the national championship game. So all of a sudden when I got uh, traded to, uh, to New Jersey and he got traded there, 
we kind of we kind of connected just because you know the the Arizona connection right away. I'd known him, um, you know, I was his rookie, uh, and and we also fit together on the court. And and I couldn't have asked for a better mentor, uh, especially on the court. Uh, we played so well together. Um, I tried to take it all in as much as I possibly could, every every bit um, of knowledge that he had, and um, and I'm glad to see him playing well later in his career. And I, I guess a question along the similar vein, and though you had a, a time to spend with him, different different guy, different player, but uh, similar in greatness, similar in their 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 toughness and and their team play, and that's Tim Duncan. Yeah, Tim, and and it's completely different. Like Tim, he's been a focal point of that organization his entire career, and and for 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 Tim. They've done a great job of making sure that he has the pieces around him. And it's it, and truth be told, it's a lot easier to be a big man than it is to be a point guard later in your career when you're having to deal with very quick, uh, fast-paced game. You know, these, these kids are coming in younger and younger and faster and faster. Tim has that size. You can't teach size. But the one thing I will give them credit for, um, and especially, you know, I haven't played with Jason in quite some years, but uh, Tim Duncan has done a great job of taking care of his body. He's in shape 24 you know, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This man is in great shape, uh, and that's what you need. He's actually lost weight every single year to the point where I joke with him that he's getting too skinny. You know, he's probably about two, you know, 248 right about now, and, and that's because he's trying to take, you know, weight off of his body. You know, less pressure on his knees, and it's going to add to his longevity. And that's something that you learn from those guys, and also the way they've handled themselves. You know, their role, their humility. Uh, when he's used to getting 25 shots for 10-plus years, and all of a sudden the last couple of years you start getting 10, 15, 12 shots. It's, you, know, you have to take that the right way. If you're walking around pouting, if you're walking around pissed off, then it definitely changes you know, you know, the dynamic of your team. Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned Arizona. Of course, you grew up in, in Phoenix. I had a chance to work there uh, for a couple of years, and, and you're part of that Arizona basketball family, you know, that Lou Dolson uh, tree. Uh, for a long time, you know that was it's one of the more you know dominant uh, programs in the country, and, and has spawned a, a number of great players. You have to take, I would imagine, a great deal of pride of being part of that. No, I do. Um, it, it, it's something that we feel like you know right now they're number two in the country. They had a great recruiting class, got another great recruiting class coming in, and um, and every great program, and we believe that we're one of the top. Uh, we're in the top five when it comes to programs in the United States. And um, whenever you have that transition from that Hall of Fame coach and, and Coach Olsen, uh, who did so much not only for all of his players, but just really for the game of basketball, the way he handled himself, it's going to be a transition. It's going to be a transition period till you find his successor and, and somebody that kind of fits the mold. And Sean Miller has done such a great job of that. He really um, he not only embraced Coach Olsen, but he also embraced all the past players. And I think Embracing all the past players will only make his job that much easier um, because it, it makes it easier to recruit when you can call up me, you can call up Jason Terry, Mike Bibby, uh, Luke Walton, Sean Elliott. When you can call up all those guys and you know that, that you have our support, it, make, it makes everything that much easier. Now, this year, uh, for another eight games or so, I'll be working with uh, Tom Tolbert. going to sit in with me. He sat in last night in the uh, loss to Memphis. Uh, do you have any sort of Arizona dirt on him that I can bring up in a broadcast to kind of keep him settled down? Ah, uh, who man, I don't know. <laughs> Tom, I, I don't think any dirt at this point in time will hurt, will, will, uh, will hurt uh, Tom. I think it would only add to his legend. <laughs> 
if I try and give you dirt. Uh, yeah, you know, he, yeah, it, it's not going to do anything. Tom's a great guy, and, and and he's somebody that you know, even throughout my career, you know, seeing him and 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 having him, you know, talk so you know, so proudly of Arizona and the different guys uh, in the organization. Uh, you know, these are the guys you try to live up to. You try to live up to you know what they've accomplished, and even after basketball, you know, we always joke with you know Coach Olson's biggest. Uh, achievement is not necessarily getting guys like Andre Iguodala or Damon Stoudemire to the NBA, but it's the it's the Luke Walton's, it's the Tom Tolbert's, it's the Judd Bushler's, those guys that had uh, NBA careers uh, because of their work ethic, because of the way they they approach the game, and uh, you know even after his career uh, was over, what he's done off the court and uh, in the media, you know uh, he's somebody that you know if, when I get on move to the next part of my of my career, I would love to get into broadcasting or into um, a, a different off the court aspect when it comes to basketball. So you know he's a person that I would definitely go to for uh, for advice, uh, and, and hopefully he can give me some good ones. I'm going to ask you about the broadcasting part in a minute, but uh, you and Luke Walton are pretty good friends, correct? Yes, yes. Tell tell me a little bit. It, it, have you had the, the chance to sit down with with uh, Bill and and ask him a question? And do you get a word in edgewise? You know, Bill Bill is such a great man. Uh, he's so funny, and and uh, you can have your differences with Bill, but at the end of the day. Bill is Bill, and everyone kind of accepts him from that because he's very, very consistent. And uh, yeah, you know, again, I've been very, very blessed and in a very fortunate position where there's multiple people that I feel I could go to uh, for that next part of my career uh, that could help me and give me advice, not only you know from them, but also can steer me the right direction with the type of people that I should talk to, how I should handle myself. Oh, and trust me, you know, early on in my basketball career, Bill was calling me. I remember I made a joke and uh, I wasn't dressed properly for an event. And so I kind of, I was messing with, uh, I think our, our head media guy, I was saying his name on the air, Gary Sussman, and I was cracking jokes about him. Mm -hmm. And he called me so fast and was like, Richard, whatever you do, you do not mess with your media people. These people have your back. And they are there to help you, and they are there to help you succeed. You do not joke with them. And I was like, "All right, Bill, my bad, my bad." And this is—I'm in my second or third year, and I'm learning lessons. He's calling me like he's my dad. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I asked him; he was doing Kings TV a couple of years ago. And I asked him how the Kings were playing. He gave me like a five-minute answer, included quotes from the Grateful Dead, the Bible, the ancient Greeks. <laughs> no, no, he's—it it was you know when he had his back injury and stuff, and and people don't understand. It, it, it's sad for the game of basketball, and and this is not even you know before me and Luke ever became friends, before I knew anything about him um, on the basketball court, I knew about his dad because his dad was so funny and love him or hate him, when he was doing a game, you knew it was going to be interesting. You knew you were oh, either yeah. going to be able to argue oh. with him you know, through the TV or you were going to laugh at him through the TV. When and, he was doing Clippers with Ralph Lawler, that was must-see TV. Oh, man. Oh, him, and, him and Snapper Jones? Like, yeah. I, oh, I, yeah. I, re yeah. I really think they didn't like each other. And, <laughs> and, and it's so funny watching these guys – um, you know, argue on TV and Bill would go on some some random comment and you didn't know where it was going. He was talking about, I, I didn't know who the Grateful Dead was and I didn't know who, you know, because I'm, I'm a 15-year-old kid watching TV and, and now to not have him, um, it, it was tough. I remember my rookie year, I was or my second year, I was so disappointed when the NBA switched over to ABC and ESPN. I probably shouldn't say that. O only 
only from a personal level because I grew up watching those triple headers on NBC with Marv Albert, Correct. Bill Walton, yep. Snapper oh, yeah. Jones, like all these guys. These are the guys that I just – it was Chicago. It was Indiana. It was the Knicks, uh, it, 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 the, the Lakers. It was the exact same teams every single every single Sunday. It was a triple header, and it was like, you know, and it was like you would get goosebumps. I'd get home from church, and my mom, like she knew not to talk to me. I was going to be watching NBC <laughs> for the next like six hours until I went and played from like, you know, I was on the West Coast, so the games got, got over pretty quick. But uh, no, th- th- those were some of the great memories I have of my childhood. And, and, and sadly, Bill was a part of it before I even got to know him. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's a good, by the way, it's one of the great theme songs of all time. Of all time. Uh, I've been looking for it to try and get it as a ringtone, and I just can't find it on the iTunes. I'm going to have to have somebody make well, it for me. You know, uh, R.C. Davis, uh, our, our radio producer, he's your man. He'll, really? He'll find that. You'll find, find Okay, I need to get uh, that. I, I got an iPhone. If I could have that as my ringtone, I would be, but I need the actual, the real, the real sound, you know. But I, I'll take whatever I can get at this point in time he, because that was uh, so awesome. He's a man of means. I don't ask how he gets stuff sometimes, but he's a man of means. Okay. Um, you know, it's funny, too, is that, that uh, you, know, you go back and, and, and think about Bill Walton, and I'm much older than you are, obviously, but, but he's, he's the best college player I ever saw because he had to play without the dunk. Yeah. So he would invent ways to score around the basket with finger rolls and drop. And he, was, he, he would catch balls it, off the glass, turn midair, and he would throw the outlet pass before he got to the ground. I mean, he was unbelievable. <laughs> and, th- and that's what I started to find out after spending time with him and spending time with Luke. Like, I, again, I did the only thing I knew about Bill Walton, I knew he was a great player. I knew, you know, the Celtic days, you know, I'd always see highlights and stuff, and that was kind of past my time. But the more time I started to spend, I started to understand what he meant to the game of basketball. And, and it was, and, 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 you know, Luke had some tough times in the sense that, like, you know, he had to win a couple of championships before he went from being, you know, he was Bill Walton's son to now he's Luke Walton. He's, you know, established himself. He's had a long career. You know, even though, he, you know, he might not have played, you know, or had the same uh, accomplishments as his dad, I, I think he has somewhat separated himself, and people kind of know him as his own individual right now. But, yeah, no, the 88-game winning streak, uh, you know all, all the all the records, the the game, the national championship game. Like he has records that won't be broken. And and to hear some funny stories. So um, you know we always like to you know joke with Bill. You know we sit at his dinner table and he would crack jokes with us. And uh, I remember one time and I like to mess with him. I he argues like Richard, don't argue with somebody in the Hall of Fame. And I and just the mess with <laughs> just the mess with. Them. I'm like Bill, what Hall of Fame are you in? He's like I'm in the Basketball Hall of Fame. I'm in the UCLA Hall of Fame. I'm in the Academic Hall of Fame. I played one game in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm in the Tennessee Hall of Fame. And he just goes off, and he just kept going for like six Hall of Fames. And I was just like, all right, all right, all right, I get it, I get it, I get it. Uh, and th- and those are the funny things that people like, you know. And when you and and most people, you would hear this, and you're like, oh, this guy's bragging, this guy's boasting, but it's just Bill. Like it's just somebody he does. He sees things from a completely different perspective. Hey, a couple of final questions for you. Uh, we talked about a couple of your teammates, Tim Duncan and Jason Kidd, but who are some of your, and, and obviously Luke Walton, who are some of your favorite uh, teammates that you've had the chance to play with all the teams you have uh, played hoop with? Um, you know, Lucius Harris was one of the guys that I, I remember the most because we were both, like, we were the sixth and seventh man my rookie year. And so 
um, you know, the game would start and I would sit down right next to him and he would just make fun of me. He's like, oh, you're not going to be able to dunk. Look, look, see him 10 years. And he was 10 years into the league and I didn't know that much about him. He was actually a very, very good player, had a great career. Uh, but he used to sit me right next to him on the bench and just make fun of me when I would like, make a stupid foul and coach would take me out. He'd be sitting on the bench laughing, waiting for me to come back. And, and you know, he, he, would, he was just one of the best teammates that I had that I didn't really know. He was somebody that I didn't really know prior to the NBA and you know he really kind of took me under his wing he you know if Jay Kidd was my mentor he was a guy that like sat and talked with me during the game uh especially when the game wasn't going on and, I, and as much as we joke with each other and he made fun of me I learned a lot from him and um you know I always wish him the best and he's somebody that you know looking back on your career again that I'm year 12 uh he probably didn't think I was going to make it this far the way he used to make fun of me but um I, I definitely give him a lot of credit for being able to just sit there and kind of learn from him because he had such a long career career and you've had a couple of teammates actually uh, that are uh doing what you want to do when you're you're done with your career hubert davis is is on tv mm-hmm. uh, brian scalabrini's on tv now uh, i think wasn't donnie marshall a teammate of yeah yours yeah well? all these guys and and that's and it's funny because the nba is still so young um you know people forget you know i have a, a 50 greatest poster that has all the 50 greatest players on it and you know when it was signed only one guy had passed away and he uh and that was pistol pg had passed away very early uh in his life uh since then you know there's been a few guys uh, uh, dave De Busher, uh, Will Chamberlain, uh, George Mike, and different guys have passed away. But um, you know, to see so many guys, p- point is, you see so many guys now going into the broadcast booth. And now guys are coming into the NBA thinking, hey, I just want to do this and establish myself. And then I can do broadcasting for 20, 30 years if I handle myself like a professional, if I if I learn the trade and I learn how to do it. And it's not easy. You know, I, I, I've, I've, I've studied it i've learned it i've taken some classes during the summer that the nba offers and broadcasting is not easy there's there's tricks to it getting comfortable and it's just like anything the more you do it the more reps you get and it's tough for us because we understand the game but the game also a lot of times has come naturally to us and that's something that speaking about the game doesn't come natural you know you look at coach jackson um who i remember when he first started in new jersey that was one of the first jobs that he had um as our reporter in jersey so he used to travel with us and you know he's a natural speaker you know, he has his church and that's he's used to being in front of people and just, you know, kind of naturally speaking. But for most of us, we don't have that opportunity to kind of do that stuff. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny. It, it's just like you mentioned. Repetition is the key. You know, I tell young broadcasters all the time, go get your reps in. Go find a job where you're if you want to do games, go find a job that's going to get you games at whatever level, high school, small college, whatever it might be, and learn how to do you know, learn your craft, and the only way you can do that is to get games under your belt, and and uh, it is it is a lot like a sport in that regard. You, yeah, you have to, and you it's know, tough because you, we're we're all perfectionists. You know, mm-hmm. e- even at the end of my career, it's like I you know I, I expect to be perfect every single time, and so when you get into an area in which you start fumbling around names, you mess up something, you kind of lose your train of thought. It's just because you got to get reps. You just got to keep it going, and and that's something. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Michael Strahan, who I've known for years. He has to be every athlete's, you know, you know, the holy grail. What this man has not not only been able to do with with the NFL and and commentating, but also to go into um, just a a, a more uh, just. Uh, 
I don't even know what the word is, uh, you know, doing the yeah mainstream um, and doing what he's doing now. Like, that's huge. Like, he'll make more – if he does that for 10 years, he'll make more money doing that than he did playing football. And, and that's amazing. And he has he has a job now that he could do for 20 years if he chooses it and if it goes uh, the, the way he wants. And so, you know, there's so many different avenues that this, that, that your sport can open up. You just have to have – the just like in basketball, how you had to have those guys that you looked up to and that you wanted to learn from because you wanted to emulate your game – once you retire, there should be people that you want to kind of emulate um, that next chapter of your life after. And, you know, Michael Strahan, Brian Scalabrini, Donnie Marshall, these are all guys that, you know, I- I'm watching, I'm seeing uh, whenever they're doing games. I just kind of, and I'm not watching them because they're my boys. I'm watching them to see their transition because I know these guys individually. Yes. And, and, and just like you watch a basketball player, you'll watch and listen to a broadcaster. And when you start to listen to them critically, say, oh, I like what he did there, or I like how they got to that there, or I like what he said there. That's when, you know, that's when you really start to get the feel of, of what you want to do. Hey, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the, the conversation. I, a final question for you, and it's one that uh, I get a lot, and obviously I'm sure you do too, in and about the community, is that, the, you know, how, how good is this Warriors team? And what do you see when Andrew Bogut comes back? Uh, I think this this Warriors team has a lot of potential. We're a very, very young team. And every young team um, has their ups and downs. Like so far this season, I feel like, you know, we, we've been on an up. And I, I think this team has the right mindset. And it takes years. It takes years. You look at a team like the Lakers when they got Pau Gasol. They won their championship the second year. You look at, um, you know, Miami. They put all those guys together, and they won the championship their second year. This group is just now getting together, and they're having success. Are we going, are we going to be an improved team all year long? Yes. But I think, like, overall, you'll see the future of this program and of this organization um, really go to the next level on years to come. Are we a playoff team? I, I, I definitely believe we are a playoff team. Um, can we win some rounds? You know, we'll, we'll see. But do we have a bright future? Um, is this a team that can be in the playoffs four or five years in a row if guys stay healthy and things go the way, um, you know, according to plan? Definitely. So I think more about the organization and the direction that they're going considering where they've been in the past, I think that's what people should be most excited about. Richard, a pleasure to, uh, to chat with you. I know that uh, we're, we're very excited that you're part of the Warriors organization right now and you're, you're a big benefit to the, the club and, and especially to those rookies on the bench. And, and we appreciate your time and look forward to seeing you out there tomorrow night. All right, thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Richard Jefferson. And if you missed part of this conversation on tonight's show or if you want to hear the entire conversation that we have with Richard, you can go to soundcloud.com at soundcloud.com forward slash hashtag warriors soundcloud.com forward slash hashtag warriors and you can hear the entire interview as well as all the audio interviews we get pregame postgame from the Warriors weekly roundtable from all the interviews we do pregame with the head coach Mark Jackson all those interviews can be found at SoundCloud forward slash hashtag Warriors. I, Tim Roy, and we continue with the Warriors Weekly Roundtable with a look at how the Warriors are contributing off the floor in the Bay Area community, answering your questions on Warriors Vox on Twitter, and then Sam Amick of USA Today comes by, and we'll talk about the proposed sale of the Sacramento Kings. All that this hour on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable right here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. 
field. We always point out that the Golden State Warriors are not only trying to be a success on the floor, but off the floor as well. And as part of this year's Season of Giving, the Warriors partnered with the San Francisco Deputy Sheriff's Foundation to take local kids holiday shopping at the Target in Colma. Warriors legend and ambassador Al Adels, along with Warrior girls Amira and Patricia, each accompanied a child as they shot for holiday gifts at the ninth annual Shop with a Deputy Sheriff event. Now, as the kids entered Target, they were welcomed by Al Adels, who also wished them happy holidays, reminded them to be thankful for this opportunity and to stay focused on their studies. Each kid was given $200 to spend on anything they desired, with the only requirement being they had to buy a jacket, shoes, and a pair of pants of their choice. After that, they were free to spend the rest of the money on gifts from their wish list, and some even used the leftover money to help buy gifts for their families. All of the children that participated ended up getting things that they really needed and things they really wanted and left the store very pleased. Each year, the shop with the Deputy Sheriff program enables over 300 kids to receive holiday gifts that normally they would not receive. Everyone, including the volunteers, Al Adels, the Warrior Girls, and especially the kids and their families, left that Target store in Coma with a sense of the holiday spirit. This gentleman here is an ambassador to the Warrior. He's a legend with the Warriors. He was one of the one and only first player coach in the NBA. He was also part of the team that won the only title for the San Francisco Warriors at the time. This is Coach Al Adel. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure for me to be here. I've always been a big fan of young people understanding the importance of Christmas. But the most important thing is that you do the right thing. And I hope that you understand that your mothers and fathers and your friends have brought you out here to have a good time. But the most important thing, I hope you have a great time today. The Warriors are happy to be here and be a part of this. But we would like you to really, really understand the importance of Christmas. Enjoy yourselves and have a good time today. Thank you very much for coming. This is always a great day as far as I'm concerned because it's a day when the young people get an opportunity to come here and uh, get some gifts for Christmas. But the most important thing is that they understand the importance of Christmas. It, it's, a, it's just a great, great day because they aren't really understand that there are other people out there who are trying to make this a great day for them. So I'm always happy that to represent the Warriors and come here. Okay, you have a Merry Christmas. Give me five. That's my girl. Take care here. Shoots over him. It's up a good. Harrison Barnes can feel it right now. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Hi, Tim. Only time now to answer your questions on Warriors Vox. Warriors V-O-X on the Twitter. You can send me an email at Tim Roy, T-I-M-R-O-Y-E. Tim Roy at Warriors.com.
gmail.com. We try to get to as many questions as we can. Before we get to question number one this week, uh, let's get to the Holiday Hoops 4-game mini plan brought to you by Jamba Juice because they feature all the Warriors' marquee matchups, including next week's appearance by the Miami Heat, the Oklahoma City Thunder involved, and also the Los Angeles Lakers. Get your Holiday Hoops plan tonight and receive a $10 Jamba Juice gift card. Go to warriors.com or call one 888 hoop and press option number one. Well, as we get every week, we get a whole bunch of questions about Andrew Bogut. Uh, some want to know, is he going to play this season? Is it just a pipe dream? Uh, so let's get the update right now on uh, Andrew Bogut, and that is from head coach Mark Jackson. We continue to uh, have him have treatment, go to rehab. We look forward to having him on the floor when he's healthy. There's no latest. We look forward to him being on the floor when he's healthy, and we're going to keep on taking care of business until that time comes. Hi, Tim Roy, Warriors Vox on the Twitter, Warriors V-O-X, with your questions. And, of course, you can go uh, to the Warriors website, Tim Roy, T-I-M-R-O-Y-E, at warriors.com. Fire away. We try to answer as many as we can each week on this show and on our postgame shows as well. When we continue, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable goes national. We talk to Sam Emick of USA Today, and one of the things I want to get his opinion on is he proposed a sale of the Sacramento Kings to the Hanson Balmer Group that would buy it and move it to Seattle to start play there next year in 2013. That move would have a big impact not only on the league, but on the Warriors as well. It's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Thanks for being with us. I'm Tim Roy. We continue on KBR 680, the sports leader. Well, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues, and we go to uh, Sam Amick of USA Today to help us. I'm Tim Roy. Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers tomorrow night at the 7 o'clock airtime on KBR uh, 680 as Golden State will try to avoid their first three-game losing streak of the year. And, uh, Sam, as we start uh, with our, our look around the league here, I, I guess the first thing I wanted to to, uh, to ask you about was, you know, if you wanted to, uh, or at least mention, is the fact that if you want to look at how the things have changed for the Golden State Warriors this year, last night after the game, you know, we're looking at the, the first two-game losing streak in, in two months. Warriors had not lost back-to-back games since November the 10th. That's impressive. No doubt. No, no doubt. And, and I've seen... You know, signs like that all year long. I mean, that's a good one. That's a, a healthy stretch to not lose two in a row. And I, I told somebody before that when they lost to the Lakers in that close game a while back, you know, I remember being at that game and being surprised at, you know, the mood and how despondent Warriors people were over a loss like that. That in the past, I think they would have said, well, geez, we, we kept up with the Lakers. That was great. You know, that whole vibe of, of, uh, just entertain us. And if you, if you can get the W, that's great. I think that's gone. You know, people are enjoying uh, the new ways of this world and listening to a good team, talented team. And you lose to the Clippers and the Grizzlies. I mean, those are no slouches. But uh, you know, they, you know, they, uh, they, they're going to want to turn it around. Sam, let's get to the uh, the story of the week in in the association, and uh, that has to be what's happening with the Sacramento Kings. Yesterday, uh, a story broke that said. Uh, the Kings are in negotiations with Seattle, which uh, uh, Seattle, a group from Seattle, which involves an an entrepreneur and investment man from San Francisco, and the price tag was five hundred million dollars. That's what was the reported number was, and that the Kings would start to play in Seattle in two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. 
how solid is this story? I mean, obviously, I think, you know, a lot of people around the league have felt the Maloofs have been out there kind of trying to figure out where they want to go with their next move. But how solid is this? And would that ownership group be able to, to get this done before the early March deadline for relocation? Well, I mean, the story is, is solid in, in terms of the fact that Seattle and the Chris Hansen and Balmer group um, and, and Nordstrom's is involved as well, that they made significant progress talking to the Blues. And, uh, you know, listen, it, it did seem yesterday like it was, it was close. But here's the thing, and we've learned this before in the past, when it comes to the Malou family that owns the team, you know, it, nothing's done until it's done. They backed out of an arena deal in Sacramento last February. We thought they were going to Anaheim the year before that. You know, that didn't happen. And so as we sit here talking today, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what to make of it. I, I still think that the, the Hanson group talks incredibly confidently, you know, and I've talked to people who have spoken with them, and they act as if eventually it'll get done. Not There's no timeline, you know, within the month, that sort of thing. But where it gets interesting is that because the story broke, I, I'm starting to wonder and I'm starting to hear that, you know, there might be a chance, however, you know, however small, that the, uh, the bidding war that Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson was hoping for might actually take place. And we'll see if that happens. But to his credit, Kevin has not taking his eye off this ball, and I know for a fact that even in the last three, four weeks, he's been going to great lengths to start lining up potential buyers that would keep the team in Sacramento, knowing that this day was going to be coming at some point. I don't know how widely, you know, the, the, that window of opportunity, how open it is now, and or if, if maybe it's shut, but, uh, you know, we just got to wait and see. When you talk about the uh, potential uh, bidders, for Sacramento, and I was listening to Kevin Johnson in his press conference yesterday. But to me, that that five hundred—that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a big ticket item right there. And and can they come up with a group? Do you think that that will be able to match that kind of cash? Well, I'll be honest. You know, I, uh, if I would have studied harder in, in math class, then I'd be better suited to break this thing down right now. Because the problem is, it, the formula and the equation that you're dealing with is is pretty pretty complex. And, and what I'm talking about is that, you know, you have two different, you're talking apples and oranges in terms of Sacramento and Seattle. If you take the team to Seattle, the, you're talking about a, probably a approximately $30 million relocation fee that's got to get accounted for. The Maloofs owe $77 million to uh, the city of Sacramento. That's got to get paid if they leave. And then, in, in, you know, in addition to that, they owe a boatload of money to the NBA. That number's never been nailed down, but the rumors are that it's about, you know, $100, $125 million, somewhere in there. So once you start adding up the, the, the numbers, um, you know, you've got to have a huge number to make something like Seattle happen because of some of the unique components that come with taking the team out of Sacramento. The question is, so, you know, the, the local uh, buyers, and one in particular, Ron Burkle, has been out there a little bit, and he's still involved. He's a billionaire from L.A. that Kevin Johnson is very tight with and been working with. Uh, I don't know what number in Sacramento is equivalent to $500 million in Seattle? That's, I think, the key question at the moment. But it, it, hopefully I made that point well enough. But you're not talking apples and apples when it comes down to the, the actual number on the offer. And I guess what the other question would be is, if, if they don't get it done with this deal, 
what happens because you know right now they're in limbo and that's the worst thing you could be in. and 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 then if they're announcing they're moving they're in a lame duck here which is obviously one of the worst case scenarios in a pro sports team but if this deal does not get done what happens with the kings yeah i mean it it would be ugly they're going to need to get a deal done they they've got to either do seattle or you know see what happens locally but i i really think i mean at this point We've got to get a deal done. March first is the relocation deadline if they're going to leave town. Uh, and you know, make no mistake, the, you know the the most of the you know, the the betting man is going with Seattle at the moment and by a long shot. But uh, it's going to be ugly starting tonight. I'm actually I'm in Reno now for the D League showcase. I'm going to head down the road and go to the Kings the Dallas game tonight. And I'm curious to see just how how bad the mood and the vibe is there. So uh, you're dead on. I mean, somebody said yesterday said, "Man, think about this." You know, we'll probably never see the Maloofs inside that arena again. You know, and if they if the Seattle thing happens, that, that could be the case. But uh, but yeah, I mean, they're going to lose a lot of cash in, in the coming weeks and months because of the situation and the effect it has on attendance. Sam Amick of USA Today is joining us here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Always a pleasure to talk some round ball with him. You mentioned you're in Reno at the D-League Showcase. You know, the, to me, that's kind of uh, almost basketball purity, you know, because most of those guys are not under the big ticket contract. Most of them are playing, you know, for for the dream. Uh what kind of uh, gems have you unearthed up there? Well I wish I had more to report on the uh the, the actual talent in the game. I, truthfully I it's become an event where if you cover the league nationally it's kind of a gold mine in terms of getting some good time and access with the more influential people in the game, the front office guys and even you know the Warriors folks are up here. You got a, a big Warriors contingent, and so that's where you know you end up kind of schmoozing and talking the entire day in the stands, and and not breaking down the talent uh, like some of the, the more hardcore uh, you know guys would. But you know I can tell you that um, you know Jerome Jordan is a guy, a, a big that's been playing pretty well. Um, but even uh, another guy that that I actually used to cover, uh, Hassan Whiteside, is a is a big man who's who's been you know putting up big numbers up here and. It's it's the whole culture of the D League fascinates me. You're talking about a couple guys on each team that are making big money on NBA contracts, and then, like you said, the majority of those guys are. I mean, listen, they're the the max money for a D League player if you've not signed an NBA contract is twenty five thousand dollars for a season. So you talk about playing for love of the game, and then not you know not just love of the game, but but fighting and scrapping and to try to get to the big time. Uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Sam, let's talk about a couple of different uh, teams. And there's one team I can't make up my mind on, so I need your help. And that's the Houston Rockets. Uh, you know, Daryl Morey has been talking about you know his way of doing things for the last few years, but they're they've been kind of in no man's land. You know, they've been right around 500 the last few years, but they're not a playoff team. Is this year's Rockets team, since they made the trade to get James Harden, is this team for real? Well, I, they're they're a good team. They've improved. I don't see them. They're not a top four team in the West. They're gonna. I think they'll be a playoff team. They're still missing a piece to me. They they've done such a a nice job, you know, drafting with you know, guys like Budinger and players like that. You know, and Harden is such a, a phenomenal addition. But it, it's almost like a a lesser version, ironically, of the Oklahoma City Thunder when you talk about a perimeter oriented team. You know, the Thunder were able to get a guy like Serge Ibaka that is a game changer, and then Kendrick Perkins down in the middle. That's the kind of stuff that the Rockets have got. Omar Ashik, and he's a, a nice addition. They just they still need another guy. I just think they uh, 
they don't have enough bullets in their gun, you know, when it comes time to get out of the maybe maybe get out of the first round, we'll see. But uh so a good team, but but no, I'm not I'm not expecting to see them in the in the conference finals. And and Jeremy Lin's a player that you know, I think he's kind of finding his uh, his his medium. He's he's kind of settle, settling back down, and, and it seems like that Jeremy is going to not be the you know the two week unbelievable burst we saw in New York, but he's going to be a good player. Yeah, no doubt, and I, I know for a fact that you know, listen, Daryl Morey and those guys are relieved and enjoying the fact that Jeremy Lin and James Harden are quickly showing an ability to play together, which was not the case early on uh, in the opening weeks of the season. It really started looking like some pretty, you know, pretty indicting material. If you broke down the way the team played when Jeremy and James shared the floor, it was pretty rough. And that's a tough thing for, you know, you you, you gave up so much for a guy like uh, Harden. The idea that he can't play with Jeremy Lin was probably, you know, panicking those guys. But they're rolling together. They're playing well together. And I agree with Ted Jeremy. He, uh, you know, it, I always get the sense that he blew up in New York, but you probably know him better than I do, Tim. But personality-wise, that he probably wasn't uh, complaining about getting out of that spotlight in New York. But uh, you know, he uh, he's got to produce. That's that's a big contract he signed, and and a lot of expectation. Those guys, you know, they uh, they put a lot in them. So we'll see. The other team I wanted to ask you about was the Dallas Mavericks. And they made some moves in the offseason, brought in some veterans, but it, it and even now Dirk is back, but it just doesn't seem like they have the, the right mix. And is this a a way are the Mavericks kind of playing for next year? Yeah, I mean they I think the Mavericks are just still suffering the ripple effect of of their decision they made to, to bust up a championship team. I mean, yeah, they're playing they've got cap room this coming year. They they continue to claim they're not going to trade Dirk Nowitzki. That's just not happening. So who do you put around Dirk? I don't think I think it's pretty bleak for Mavs fans. They Dirk to me is just he's just not the he's not a Kobe. I don't think he's not the kind of guy that we're going to see you know have the ability to play until he's 39, 40, 41 years old. I mean Kobe seems like he'd go forever, but not only that, you know you have that cap room. I don't the young stars of this league. I don't think. Uh, I mean, money talks, so maybe I'll be wrong, but the idea of, of partnering with Dirk, I think the youngsters of this league would look at that and say, geez, I have so much respect for Dirk, but it's too bad I couldn't get Dirk of five years ago. Um, so it's a tough formula, and right. this, you know, even beyond that, the, the mood the, in the culture with the Mavs, it's, it's not a great time out there. They, uh, you know, they've, they did what they had to do based on their view of the collective bargaining agreement and the, the cap and all the changes that were made in the lockout. And they, they made a, a deliberate choice, but so far it's, it's just not working out. If you're the Miami Heat, do you take a flyer on Greg Oden? Yeah, I mean, it's nothing to, you know, there's no harm. You could. You could. I mean, they're taking flyers, you know, they're working out Chris Anderson. They're, they're uh, bringing Dexter Pittman back and forth from their D-League team and, you could. Um, he's a young guy, and listen, if he can be 60% of what you know we thought he could be, be a, to fill space down there and uh, just you know crash the boards and and even just be a, a putback guy offensively uh, and just stay healthy. And obviously, that's what he has not been able to do. But I don't know. I, mean, I haven't talked to his people in a while about him. I, I don't know exactly the state of where he's at physically, but I really can't. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought of that, but to be honest with you, that's not a bad idea. 
Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I think he's just now. You know, I, I saw a rumbling that he's you know he wants to get back on the court, and he's been off you know for a long time with all those injuries. But if if you're Miami, why not? I mean, he's even if he just protects the rim for you, he gives you a, a different body that you can throw out there against some of the uh, the bigger guys they have to go up against. And and well, and they and, have nothing to give up. That's the thing. I mean, it's right. no secret they they call teams and you know looking for big men and. And, and every team just says the same thing. Guys, what are you going to give me, Mike Miller? Like, I'm not taking that contract. They don't have any assets right. to, to, get, to get something else done. So, you know, Flyer is the perfect way of describing it. They, uh, they don't really have many options. And, and so, to me, Greg would be an interesting one. Is, is Memphis trying to move Rudy Gay just because of contract? Let's see. I don't know that it's fair. Well, I'm still kind of torn on this. You know, the Memphis side, what I'm hearing is, that they're kind of they claim they're taking a bad rap for doing their due diligence, and it's a new ownership group, a new management group, and that they're gathering information and data, trying to you know find out what the league thinks of its players, and that is that's fair. That's something that you do have to do. But the way with which they've done it, and the style has left rival teams you know singing a different song, where they are saying, no, listen, you know, yeah, they ask, you know, the, yeah, we talk about a lot of guys in their team, but Rudy is clearly the guy. That they seem to have an interest in moving. Why are they doing it? Yeah, I do think it's uh, largely financial. Rudy is a heck of a player, but you know, if you look at today's NBA and again the new CBA and the way the the uh, the, the cap and luxury tax works, paying a guy like that sixteen, seventeen million dollars for the next couple of years, he's not worth his contract. And, and I like Rudy as a player, but uh, if you just talking about efficiency of a contract, it's not a good contract. So. That is a factor. They're they're about four million over the tax, and next year is when the tax uh, goes up, uh, you know, significantly, and, and teams are get punished even more for being in luxury tax. So, that's those are the exerting influences that are going on. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he gets traded. His camp kind of does, which I found interesting. You know, his people seem to, but uh, I'm not so sure that that I see him moving. Sam, final question for you. Are there storylines that you're going to keep an eye on here as we head toward the – not head toward, we're actually in the middle part of the season. As we head toward the All-Star break, are there some storylines you're going to keep your eyes out for? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. You know, some of the, the usual suspects. I mean, the Lakers obviously are a train wreck, and that's just mind-boggling. And now they got injuries on top of injuries and, and lost five in a row, and really at this point look like you know we're not even going to see them in the playoffs, which is just just incredible, considering the way we looked at that team last summer. Beyond that, you know, I guess you go the the big boys of the East. The the Knicks are interesting to me. They got off to such a great start. Carmelo, a key question for me, started looking like maybe he you know he was going to become the latest superstar to rectify his reputation like LeBron did, and and become a leader and and have you know MVP type season and and it'd be a success story, but, you know, he's run into a couple bumps in the road, had his thing with Garnett the other night, and, you know, can the Knicks get back to the level they were at early this season? That's another one that interests me. Sam, it's always a pleasure to uh, read your prose on the league, as you know, and we appreciate you being a friend of Warriors Radio and the continued success, and we look forward to seeing you out at Oracle uh, many times this year. Sounds good, Tim. Thank you, sir. Again, my thanks to Sam Amick of USA Today. If you didn't catch all of this interview, and there are parts we could not air because of time restrictions, go to soundcloud.com forward slash hashtag warriors. That's soundcloud.com forward slash hashtag warriors. 
and you'll find not only this interview, but a cornucopia of interviews involving the Golden State Warriors, including all the locker room interviews from the games, plus the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, appearances by Warriors on various talk shows throughout the Bay Area and around the country. So check it out. It's soundcloud.com forward slash hashtag Warriors. It's your source for all Golden State Warriors interviews. Hi, Tim Roy, and we continue with more here on the Weekly Roundtable, a look ahead to the schedule. But before we get to that, it's time to drive for five with Kia. Purchase or lease a 2012 or 2013 Kia vehicle, and you'll drive home with two tickets to five Warriors home games. For complete details, including a list of participating Bay Area Kia retailers, go to warriors.com slash Kia. The schedule when we come back on KMBR 680, the sports leader. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time now to look at the schedule on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy, and tomorrow night, the Portland Trailblazers in town and your first regular season look at yet another great player that came out of Oakland and the East Bay. That's Damian Lillard, now the frontrunner for NBA Rookie of the Year. Nick trying to free himself. They throw to Babbitt. Back to Lillard. Lillard, three seconds. A three-pointer for the win. Got it! Game over! Damian Lillard being hoisted by Jared Jeffries in celebration. And 18,772 on their feet, enjoying what could be the first of many game-winning shots from the NBA's best rookie. Warriors and Blazers tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, the airtime on KMBR 680. It's an authentic fan Friday brought to you by Comcast Sportsnet. The first 19,000 fans receive a Carl Landry Collector's Series cheer card. And then on Sunday, the Warriors head to Denver. They will wrap up the season series with the Nuggets. And, of course, Denver improved themselves both on offense and defense with the offseason acquisition of Andre Iguodala. High right side is Iguodala. Ten on the shot clock right now. Bucket here, you win it. One-on-one with Reddick. Crossover move. Down the lane he goes. Layup is good! And then on Sunday, the Warriors head to Denver. They will wrap up the season series with the Nuggets. Warriors and Nuggets, 4.30 the airtime on Sunday afternoon on KBR 680. And then on Wednesday night at Oracle Arena, the only Bay Area appearance of Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and the defending champion, Miami Heat. LeBron, Nowitzki, a hand in his face. LeBron. Pulls up, easy jumper off the glass, got it to go. Bounced around for a bit, Miami by five in overtime. Warriors in heat, 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. I can be our 680. I'll be joined that night by Tom Tolbert. It should be a lot of fun. Some very tough games upcoming for the Golden State Warriors. The weekly roundtable is next to Thursday night, 8 o'clock, right here on KMBR 680. Tickets for the Portland game and the Miami game. You need to get there early at warriors.com slash dynamic or call one gsw hoop i Tim Roy thanking all of our guests on tonight's show. Thanking Richard Jefferson for his thoughts on the Warriors and talking about his role with the ball club. Thanking head coach Mark Jackson for his comments during our Warriors Vox segment and Sam Amick of USA Today. I, Tim Roy, for our producer, R.C. Davis, David Feldhaus at the controls here at KMBR 680. Or stay tuned because coming up next, 49 
Niners Insider. I'm Tim Roy saying good night for Warriors Radio. Warriors and Portland tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, right here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. It's a four on three. The trailer's Curry right side. Fires away. Three ball. For tickets, go to Warriors.com or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.